Welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvi, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. Mr. You Can Too. I have a great show in store for you today. I am joined by my family member, my cousin, comedian, podcaster, overall amazing human being, Mike Kaplan. In this episode, Mike discusses with us all of his learnings through his comedy journey, and we talk about how important it is to find things in our life that brings us joy and to really take the time to do the things that we love on a day-to-day basis. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with your family, friends, and loved ones. It would mean the world to me if you leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. I honor you, I appreciate you, I love you, and as always, you can too. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a special, special, special guest in the building today. I have the amazing Mike Kaplan. Mike is not only my cousin and dear friend, but he's also a comedian, podcaster, and also a phenomenal human being. Mike, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure. Yes, yes, the pleasure is all mine. And it was funny, we were just talking about this on your podcast, but this is, I guess, officially our third conversation Ah, yeah. overall, right? <laughs> First one being a nice catch-up, uh, the second one being us doing your podcast, and now the third one being us talking on my podcast. So oh, I yes. appreciate your time. This one is the charm. <laughs> that is what they say, isn't it? Perfect. <laughs> so question for you, Mike. So... I know you as a job occupation, you're working as a comedian and you've been a a creative person your entire life. How was it that you ended up getting into comedy? Uh, Sure. A great question, by which I mean one that I love answering because it's about me. Um, (laughs) And uh, I just, I guess I've always loved talking about myself. And I was like, where is that socially acceptable? That is... Not uh, not the path I took, but uh, so as you may or may not know, uh, my parents were both music teachers as I was growing up, mm-hmm. uh, Bonnie and Bob Kaplan, and uh, they uh, encouraged me uh, almost to the point of mandating that I uh, play music myself. Uh, in part, I know now because it was such a beloved part of like they both studied it in school. They became teachers of it. They wanted to share that joy uh, with other uh, young learning human beings, uh, including myself. But at the time, uh, I didn't I didn't love it when I started playing the violin when I was four. But it was like, you know, I feel like some parents, you know, were like, you got to stick with this. And some parents are like, you know, if you don't if you don't love this one thing, you can give it up if you like. In fact, uh, in my, like my family was Jewish culturally, and I I was bar mitzvahed, uh, but I almost didn't. There was times when I didn't go to uh, synagogue for Sunday school, Hebrew school, like learning to go along the path uh, to get a bar mitzvah. But uh, I had been. <laughs> uh, my mom essentially was like, I was given the choice of that. I remember like it would have been it would have been if I really threw a tantrum and was like, I don't want to go like music was a more religious experience for my family than religion <laughs> itself, which I mean, to, and now I mean, the spoiler alert, the end is I also feel this way about music now. I love it. The, you know, like sounds, vibrations, like, I mean, there's so much beautiful art in the world of all kinds of, you know, there's visuals, there are, you know, there's artistic chefs creating beautiful things to smell and taste and then of course you know the, the physical touches well. all the all the senses big fan but like music was one of the first I, I feel like it's one of the first ones that we as human beings like even get to it's like even before you can see i believe like in the womb you can feel vibrations you know that's why mm. people sing to their uh their fetuses as they grow they they sing they talk to them you're you're familiar with the the rhythms and timbre of you know of the voices that 
that speak around you, like even when you come into the world. And, and so I feel like the same way that as I eventually, I studied linguistics uh, in grad school, jumping ahead briefly and learned that there's uh, a period of, you know, somewhere around seven-ish years that can be expanded and for diff different for different people, but seven-ish years where uh, learning languages is easier. You know, right. like you don't, when you're a child, you don't have to take an English class to learn English. You just need to be around people who are speak English or whatever language, uh, any language that's spoken around a baby, like the baby, uh, all other things being equal, can learn that language. And so in addition to learning English, I was starting playing the violin at four. I feel like I was indoctrinated into uh, just sort of like uh, marinating in the language of music, the world of music, even even though I didn't, I like didn't love that I was supposed to practice, made to practice, had to practice, but I did, and so I became, you know, I I got uh, through sheer repetition, you know, through the act of doing, got to be, you know, good enough at the violin. I and played it for it was sort of like a similar, like the religious experience that I mentioned. Uh, the practice of it was I was meant to do it every day. I didn't always, but I said I did. But I also every week had a lesson, a private lesson. And then for most of my childhood, every week went on often Saturdays and to an all day music school uh, that my mom and dad, mom and or dad would bring me to. Uh, and it was like I was growing up in New Jersey. This was in I think often Queens in New York City. And it was just, there were theory lessons classes. There were uh, master classes. There was ensembles. There were orchestras. There were different groups. I played in a quartet multiple, uh, like a, a different night of the week. Like there were, there was a time when I think I was going to like three different music classes or three different music uh, learning experiences per week. My private lesson on Monday, my quartet on Wednesday, and my uh, all day like classes on Saturday. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you're taking one day off a week, then that's half of the days of the week I was uh, being educated in music and mm. uh, not, not entirely loving it, uh, but doing it. And then in, when I was about 15, uh, I, I was going to this summer camp uh, every, day, every summer since I was 11 uh, called Bucks Rock and I loved it. And, uh, I eventually, it's sort of where I came out of my shell, became less introverted. Like I was in school a little shy. And, mm -hmm. uh, but at this camp, I feel like it was full of all the people who were shy in school, the outcast, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of weirdo misfits, uh, artsy kids who uh, like welcomed me, you know, with open arms into their weird, <laughs> with into their weird nice. arms. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's a place where I started. Uh, I had a good friend, Ari, who one time we were hanging out and he had brought his guitar. Uh, it was like during the school year. We were He was visiting me in New Jersey where, from where he lived in New York. And I remember we were like at a mall and he just like went to the bathroom and left me with his guitar that he had brought. And I just uh, started like messing around with it and making sounds on it, not having ever taken a lesson or knowing how to play it. But the fact that I knew enough about music and knew enough about the violin and other stringed instrument to uh, be able to like figure out, oh, this is, and it became now a fun discovery. Mm. And then my dad had uh, an old guitar that he had gotten at, I think a high school graduation gift and gave that to me. And then I got an electric guitar and then another uh uh, acoustic guitar of my own and you know numbers over the and I I now started playing this for hours a day like if I'd been playing the violin this long uh, that would have been I mean my mother's dream and I would have been even better uh, <laughs> but I just loved the guitar so much uh, par perhaps in like I'd say in part because I didn't have to play it because I was right. choosing to play it like right. in fact at the summer camp uh, the founder uh, of the camp in the 40s, uh, in the 1940s, named Ernst uh, Bulova and his wife Ilsa. They founded this camp um, initially as a work camp to help with the war effort for World War II, but eventually mm -hmm. it became uh, a performing and creative arts camp that was sort of Montessori school-based because he had studied uh, the founder with Maria Montessori, oh, where wow. children are not made to do anything they don't want to do. And he's, I remember hearing him speak one saying, like, children love to learn but they do not love to be taught mm. and i remember 
like that and i think that's not even true of just children but also humans for sure uh like you know no very few people uh like to just be told what to do i mean of course there's exceptions and different contexts but uh you know i remember one time uh it was my grandmother's birthday my dad's mother and he it was approaching and my dad was like uh why don't you call your grandmother and i'd already been planning on doing it and i was like i was gonna and that I remember that really stuck <laughs> out like i'm now not getting credit for the going to have been calling her that I was already planning on doing. I'm like, you, right. you don't tell me what to do. I do the exact thing that you told me to do because I <laughs> want to. Um, but so, yeah, so the camp uh, was, there were from 9 to 12 and 2 to 6 p.m. Uh, you just, you didn't have to go to anywhere specific. You just had to not sit on your bunk and do nothing. Uh, nice. And so you could go, you know, uh, throw uh, clay pots for the whole day if you wanted to or do that for five minutes and then go you know they they had all kind of they had glass blowing which you did have to sign up for because there were a limited number of places but other than a few things or if like you're in a play you had to show up when the rehearsals were but you didn't have to be in a play but if you want to mm. be in the play yeah uh, you you show up to those times and it was just such a you know a very encouraging supportive environment to get you to well what do you want to do like while you're right. alive you if you're alive, you kind of have to slash get to do something, you know, what, what is it that you want to choose to do? So for me at that point, it was at 15 years old guitar. And I was choosing to just, I, I didn't even call it practicing. I just played, I was just playing so much and like learning songs that existed and then starting to write my own songs, uh, just being like, Oh, I can, I can do this. Why not? And at camp at like talent shows and like coffee house nights, uh, and then in college, same thing. I would just like, I I would play for my friends, and like some of the songs that I started writing were intended to be funny, and maybe they weren't. Maybe they were, and some of them weren't intended to be funny, and maybe they weren't, and maybe they were. And ultimately, though, I in college decided I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to be a singer songwriter. In fact, I am. I am songwriting, and I am singing. And and now I just I want to do that for work, for a living, for my life. How do I do that? I just started looking around the Boston area where I was in college uh, at Brandeis University. And uh, there were a lot of places that you had to be 21 to get in. So uh, I started playing at this open mic at a folk music club in Harvard Square called Club Passim, where I would go and I'd tell a couple jokes and I'd play a song at the time it was I was trying to do music but mm -hmm. I was also I, I guess in 1999 uh, I believe the beginning of my senior year of college um, I I turned yeah that's the year I turned 21 and so that's when I started like really making a full uh, a full court press I guess of uh, searching for i'm like i don't know what that means but i think it's what i did um <laughs> of you know finding places to perform my music and one of the places that i found was uh, a place called the comedy studio like i just it was you know i think pre-google searching it was googling when it was actually just called doing an internet search or asking jeeves or I think <laughs> maybe yahoo existed i think there was a search engine called hotbot and i was just like looking for clubs in you know, Boston. And it, it came up with some dance clubs, some music clubs, uh, which is what I was looking for. But it also came up with this comedy club, the comedy studio, which had just opened up, I think in the past, you know, year ish or a couple years. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know anything about comedy other than, you know, I'd watch Saturday night live. I knew that Seinfeld was a guy cause he had <laughs> a show, but I only knew like the most famous comedians. I didn't know that there were like not famous i didn't know there were not famous comedians that's uh, so funny because i'd never heard of i'd never heard of any not famous comedians before um <laughs> like how could there be any uh i would know about them i'm sure and but so i i was like the comedy studio so i called the number and this man rick jenkins who was the owner and still is uh answered the phone and i was like can i come perform my funny songs at your comedy club and he said sure you can have like five minutes or seven minutes you know something at the at the music shows that I've been doing, sometimes you get like fifteen minutes. You can play three songs. You know, I was like, so, oh, five or seven minutes. That's a a standard amount of time for 
a, like a comedy open mic or a, your first comedy performances. Like right. sometimes there's even like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, uh-huh. just like before you, because you don't know what you're doing at all. You don't have anything. Like you certainly, it's very rare to have a good five minutes the first time you perform comedy. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I have these songs. I'm like, okay, well, some of them I could shorten them a little bit. So I, I remember I went, it must've been a seven minute set. Cause I think I did a two minute, you know, like a three, a two or three minute thing. And another, I did two songs and in between the songs and before and after I talked and I would call it now like talking, uh, at a comedy club, I would call it like riffing or ad libbing or improvising. But at the time I just called it, uh, talking until the people stopped laughing and then playing the other song. (laughs) And, and so from 1999 to 2002 ish, I would say I was still only pursuing music. Uh, and, but, I was going to perform wherever I, I performed at like the Barnes and Noble cafe where I worked uh, at now at Boston university where I was in grad school. And uh, I performed, I, I got a permit to busk in the, uh, the subways in the T of Boston. Uh, so I was like performing on the street, performing in subways, performing in like shops where people didn't know that I was supposed to be there or wanted me there. Um, and then also, you know, music, open mics and uh venues like that and whenever and i i just loved the time that first time performing at the comedy club like where i didn't even know that laughter was i mean like i knew that my songs were funny enough for my friends you know i was like right. they kind of at least would end with a punchline but like yeah that's people laugh and then the song is over and i didn't i didn't had i'd never really really written a joke uh specifically that wasn't a song but in between the songs, like when people were laughing, I was just like, oh, this is different and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And and so then I did start like trying to, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't invited to come back like frequently because uh, mostly the comedy club was like, uh, we're here for people who like are pursuing comedy, you know, and I was mm-hmm. kind of like a, a hobbyist, a tourist in the comedy world from the music realm at the time. But I was curious about it, and so I did start writing all these jokes. And he would have me back there maybe like once or twice or a couple times a year. And I'd like bring some friends, and it would be fun. But I wasn't really actively pursuing comedy until about 2002 when I was like, I really – I I like doing this. And I found out that there were other places to perform comedy, not just that comedy club, that uh, I wasn't having as much luck finding uh advancement in the music world so i was like well maybe if i go to other comedy open mics uh and so i just started going to tons of comedy open mics and you go as you start looking you start finding and as you start finding you i was able to look for more and uh so yeah about 2002 i would say i just i performed at other places and found that there were some open mics that you could go to every week if you just show up and some you'd sign up in advance and some you had to bring a couple people to be in the audience or you couldn't perform, but whatever it was, I just started going out almost every night to uh, mostly comedy venues and every once in a while still to the that folk music venue that I'd mentioned uh, where I would perform like a song, but also I was like, I'm gonna do shorter and shorter songs so that I can get more and more jokes in. And then at first at the comedy open mics, I would bring my like backpacker, guitar like a a tiny guitar that i would do if i had a five minute set i'd do four minutes of horrible jokes and one song that was okay to end everything by uh until eventually i had you know five minutes of okay jokes and then i would only bring the guitar if i needed to do 10 minutes and then then if i only needed to do 20 or 30 minutes and so it just sort of built uh like piece piece by piece you know like snowflake by snowflake until there was an avalanche of of jokes and at that point i was uh by that point i was doing so that's we're now caught up to when i started doing comedy um and essentially i mean that's what i've been doing for the past uh 19-ish years now that for in boston while i was uh getting my uh degree in linguistics at boston university which i eventually got in about 2008. I was I was in grad school for about eight years getting a degree that could have been gotten in one year and was supposed to be gotten <laughs> in uh, but two or maybe three. Every year I got 
uh, my advisor gave like signed a permission slip that I could continue. I lived at Boston University as a resident assistant and I did that job and I had some other, I had this job at the Barnes and Noble Cafe and I also then got a job working doing uh, some linguistic annotation uh, that was a really fun and interesting job at this technology company uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I did all of that while continuing to just go out almost every night and go to open mics and work on jokes and eventually uh, got booked on other shows and started making a little money from comedy and started uh, eventually uh, finding out like ways in which I could uh, make my living doing it, which involved at initially uh, applying or submitting uh, to different uh, college booking agents because I'd found, I knew that sometimes college like comedians came to my college and I was like mm. that's that's a, a fun like I love performing for college aged audiences I was a college aged audience you know and I was like this is me and so I was like I what can I do that uh, like the the positive uh, aspirational Urkel can I do that um, <laughs> I like that <laughs> thank you so much uh, <laughs> and I remember. Uh, yeah, so I, I started looking into that and I did get a college booking agent and I was able to, uh, they submitted me to this conference called NACA, which uh, is a very sort of competitive uh, enterprise that uh, helps if you can, if you get, you know, a, a performance slot at one of these conferences, then hundreds of schools or dozens of schools at least might uh, have sent send their representatives who book the comedy and book the music, book all the entertainment for their college for the year, the next semester. And so I was able to uh, get, uh, fortunately, uh, in front of uh, a bunch of schools that booked me to do that, which then made it so that I could make enough money. It felt I was like, if I keep making enough money uh, from these mechanisms to live, then I don't think I need all of the cafe job i don't necessarily i was like even all the the other work was fun but eventually i was able to sort of shed shed the ra job shed you know uh, graduate from uh the master's program that i was in and uh and so in 2008 moved to new york and was at that point doing only stand-up comedy um in the city and then uh mostly traveling around performing at colleges and some comedy clubs uh, to, uh, to make my living. And I mean, just creatively, like along the way, it was just every night. Like I remember in Boston, I had a, an open mic that I hosted every Monday night and I would just try out just tons of new things. And then throughout the next days, I would hone the ones that I wanted to and, and that I could to make them, uh, better and better. And then include them in like the act proper and then go out on weekends and hopefully, you know, perform for paying audiences that, uh, expected jokes to be done, uh, as opposed to the open mics where, uh, there might not be any such expectation, but just, uh, that's, uh, yeah, since, since 2008, I've been living in New York and, uh, and traveling around the country and more recently also some other parts of the world to, do comedy for hopefully uh, audiences who want me to be there, have invited me to be there, have decided uh, to watch me do it. And uh, I've been very fortunate to get to uh, do it on uh, a few television shows, uh, some late night shows. Uh, some friends of mine have made movies and have invited me to be in those, which is my favorite way to hmm. be in something as opposed to uh, auditioning and uh, auditioning for a thousand things to try and get in one. Uh, just as opposed to just saying yes to my friend who's like, I think you could be in this. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I just I love doing stand up. And up until, you know, the pandemic began uh, was going pretty much if I was in New York, I was going out every night uh, or if not every night, most nights of the week, uh, sometimes multiple shows to the point of probably an average of more than one show a night uh, for wow. the past many, many years. And then sometimes I would be uh, like maybe half the time, probably uh, at least a couple weeks or a couple weekends out of each month. I was traveling uh, to do sometimes clubs would some there's one. One of my favorite clubs is uh, called Acme. It's in Minneapolis and they have shows uh, uh, before the pandemic. They would go Tuesday through Saturday, just almost every day of the week. Nice. Uh, you do, you know, multiple shows, Fridays and Saturdays, one show each. The others, some clubs are just Friday, Saturday, some are Thursday to Sunday, but just uh, 
getting to getting to do that has been you know a great pleasure blessing uh fortune of i mean it's it's it was the goal like when i when i first realized in 2002 that i'm like i if i i can write a joke and people will laugh at it and if i can do enough of those then people will pay money for that and just to get to to get to do for a living the thing that is just so beloved just to create joy uh for myself and for audiences it's uh i'm i'm very grateful so that is essentially that's that's a lot of where i'm at now no that's that's beautifully put i'm i'm so grateful that you took all of us through that journey of essentially you know being a young boy um, a son of two avid you know music fans music teachers who are your parents and them essentially you know your mom wanting you to play the violin and then going through that journey of kind of you know you didn't really love the violin and you know you, you practiced it you did it and then over time you just so happened to you know pick up your friend's guitar as he's using the bathroom and you start messing around with it and develop like this new love and like this passion for an instrument and you started playing it and you started doing it from this place of choosing to play it as opposed to you know having to play it and it seemed like that really empowered you so much to like go into that journey of like well hey i really want to create songs and music um for a living or at least you know that was your intention at the time and then from there you kind of had these these opportunities where you would go to these shows and you would do like you know a little bit of you would say a little comedy and then you'd play for most of the part and then say a little comedy and play again and then realizing that okay the music part isn't going to maybe where you thought it was going to go but there was still something there with the comedy and then you started kind of reversing how much music you were playing and put more time to the comedy until eventually you got your big break and you were able to do it consistently you've been doing it consistently ever since which is amazing oh yeah i and thank you for uh, for listening and understanding. And I'll also add this that now, I mean, I'm so what with music, uh, there, I didn't study it in college for a very specific reason because mm. I didn't want it to become an obligation like it had been once. Mm. And so I like, I joined an acapella group. I joined a chamber choir. I loved singing. I took voice lessons. Like I wanted to improve. I wanted to get better. And also like now i'm so happy that uh that i still like music is still a large part of my life there is uh like my, i'm looking at my guitar and a keyboard across the room right now and my violin is up on a shelf and the guitar is just out and my, my girlfriend and i uh who live together like she also is a she did go to college for music she is a trained uh, singer and uh, she is like she was playing and writing songs uh, as a teenager as well and so that's something that we share and just like the other day like we love like playing together like for fun uh, and mm -hmm. so the fact like that this all started you know the the initial seed that was planted in me that uh, has led to you know my career was just the joy of music that had been planted even earlier you know it's here's a, a funny two funny things uh, or at least one. I think one of these will be funny, but two things. Uh, there's this. There's a, a Jewish folk writer named uh, Isaac Besheva Singer, who, when I was growing up, I don't know if you've ever heard of him or his stories, but mm -mm. they are uh, beautiful, and some of them are so funny. And there's some characters that come from this fictional town uh, that is meant to be that has like theoretically the the most foolish people in the world live in this town. <laughs> And so one of them like goes on this this young foolish man go leaves the town and is going on a journey and comes up he's at a restaurant uh, on his way and he's really hungry and he orders something and he doesn't get full and so he orders something else and he doesn't get full and he orders something else and he doesn't get full and he keeps ordering like almost everything on the menu perhaps I got to go back and revisit I only remember this story from childhood I haven't even read it more recently but it was it's so mm. stuck with me that so he kept ordering and ordering and ordering and they keep bringing and bringing and bringing and eventually he orders a cookie and they bring him the cookie and he eats the cookie and he is full. And then he says something like, wow, if we had only known that it was the cookie 
that would make me be full, I would have ordered that first and not had to waste all that other food that uh, that I ate before the cookie. And, you know, indicating a lack of understanding of how becoming full works uh, <laughs> right. due to being a foolish person. And mm -hmm. so here's the thing that the reason I bring it up is when I started playing guitar when I was 15 and loving it, having the joy arise to the point that the second the second thing I want to share, the first one's not done yet. But the, the second thing is there is a book by the Pro, uh, by Khalil Gibran called The Prophet that I love. Um and one of my favorite lines in it is, I believe this is how it goes, it's the deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't guarantee that every sorrow leads to joy, but that it can. And right. like, I remember now realizing that, oh, like all of the work, all of the, the suffering that I felt I was enduring with the violin all those years, like was now able to be filled with the joy of just knowing how to play the guitar so easily because my fingers were practiced in, you know, doing things on a stringed instrument. My brain was practiced in understanding music theory. Like all the things that had given me trouble before were now, uh, lit, they lit up, you know, just the neural networks and the muscle memory, everything conspired uh, to help me just love the guitar. And I remember... Uh, telling my mom about this and being like, isn't this wonderful? And she was like, wait, I, f I made you feel sorrow? And I was like, no, 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 it's joy now. It's all joy <laughs> now. But uh, I remember thinking at age 15, being like, I love the guitar so much. Man, if only I had started playing the guitar when I was four, then I could have had mm. 11 more years of loving. And in that moment, I became, you know, the foolish child who had, yeah. uh, who was like, man, if I'd only just eaten the cookie first, like, there was no way to eat the cookie first. There was no way to become, to, to discover the joy that I had with the guitar uh, without having gone through everything that I did with the violin. So I'm very grateful to my mom, to my parents, to my family. And so now the, the point of all this is to say, like, I'm sort of back around. Like, I don't know, do you know the, uh, the Zen saying, uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, after enlightenment, chop wood carry water uh mm -hmm. well there regardless of whether you did or not uh there it is again uh and for for those listening it's just such a a resonant thing for me that uh i feel like it it applies in my comedy life like how do you get good at comedy like well you just write, write and perform and just keep doing that and okay so you do, just keep doing just keep doing it even though you, you know, before any kind of enlightenment and then eventually years into a comedy career you might be like oh i get how to do it now i understand so now what do i do well just keep writing and performing that's the only thing that's <laughs> the same as before and so similarly i was like oh man the joy of playing music that i had as a teenager was so powerful that i wanted it to be what i did for a lifetime just for like not even like I know it's so funny we talk about like for a living which means like how do you make your money to live but like living living is the thing that I want to do living and playing and being joyful and creating art and music and comedy and just the fact that now like the first goal was to be like how can I make enough money from having this joyful activity of playing the guitar so that I don't have to do any other activity except for this joyful activity. And mm -hmm. that joyful activity led me to the joyful activity of comedy, which has thankfully uh, helped sustain my life and my livelihood and my living. And to the point that now I can just pick up the guitar for fun, like I always did, without wondering, like, you know, what, but how much, how much is this time? Like, I, it's, it's now pure pure joy pure enjoyment i mean i do love i love comedy as well even though like sometimes i have to send emails to get booked places and, like there's logistics involved but the music now it's back it's back you know chop wood carry water style back all the way around to just loving doing it and playing on my own with my girlfriend with friends recording sometimes releasing into the world sometimes just sharing with friends but just uh boy i uh big big joy fan yeah i think it's all about joy and i think that's something that all of us are are have available to us right and i love how you were able to go through this journey where you know ultimately music you know 
might have started out in a way where it wasn't fully joy, but then when you come back full circle and, you know, now that your comedy has, you know, sustained you in such a way financially, it allows you to go right back to the guitar and be able to play music and do it literally just for the joy of it. That's so amazing. Thank you. Yeah. What what would you say some of the listeners could take from your journey or maybe from your journey in comedy of how some of your life lessons through making it in the comedy world could apply to maybe their lives and something that they can take with them? Sure, I'll I'll do what I can. I mean, I guess number one is I hope that uh, you, everyone, uh, I hope everyone has something in their life that does bring them joy just purely uh, without without needing it to be something else. I mean, I know some people, you know, if you play an instrument, if you paint, if you, you know, it could be your family, it could be your friends, it could be, uh, you know, science, it could be your religion, it could, there's so many, uh, you know, it could be re- reading, consuming art or uh, music or comedy. Like, I do think that my understanding is that, you know, when, when I was a kid, when most people are children, at least in, in the culture in which I was raised, and in, I think, across a lot of cultures, like, children are encouraged to be creative, and children sort of are creative, like, sort of unselfconsciously in a way for, for quite a while. Um, you know, a lot of kids draw, sing, dance, da- uh, sing, dance act, uh, and they like you know kids like make up plays kids you know like write whole books like without without knowing there's a there's a woman uh who is a a comic creator a writer and an artist and a teacher named linda barry who she has a a book uh, a comic book called syllabus and i believe it is from a class that she has taught but it's just you know it is available as a book that anybody can purchase Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it, and I always forget if it's in that book or in one of her other books because I've read several of them. But where she asks, she asks a lot of questions about art and philosophy, and one of the questions she asks is, uh, like, how old does someone have to be to make a bad drawing? And I love that question because you know, if a two-year-old draws something and it doesn't look photorealistic it's very, it would be a cruel thing to do to tell that child that it wasn't good and very few, you know, reasonable, uh, compassionate adults, which I think is most, uh, would do that to a child. But at, at a certain point, we start doing that to ourselves and we might start mm. doing it to others. Like I one time was performing at a wedding. Uh, a friend of mine was getting married and the night before there was like a talent show. And I remember being on stage after like a little a little kid had sang and an older person had sang and they were it might not have been you know they weren't necessarily trained singers but everyone was just so supportive of what they were doing and i was i sort of sat on stage and wondered for real like i'm like at what age like we're like we were so supportive of that child we're so supportive of that you know that older person uh which i mean i'm like and was i being ageist in a way of being like you know mm. of, of course like I was like, but there, it seems like there is an age at which, you know, a lot of people are like, well, we're not just going to cheer because you're doing it, you know, right, right. Uh, that <laughs> we want we want it to be some level of accomplishment. But I mean, it is the doing of it. I mean, the doing is the most important thing. Like you you can't you can't get good at anything without going through being bad at it. Like that is almost we I think we maybe in our society and maybe maybe as just humans but there's a a possibility that we romanticize like being a natural like finding mm. the thing that is my thing that i am good at uh and then okay once i find it you know like i, I tried so many things like the person at the restaurant ordering all the foods like which one is the thing that will make me full when it is in fact uh perhaps spending enough time uh, enough reps 
uh, on a thing that you love. So that's, I guess, if there's something that you love, do that thing as much as you can, as much as you have time for, as much as you want to, uh, maybe even more than you want to. If you want to get good, if you want to get good at an instrument, if you want to get good at comedy, if you want to get good at, like, I know the things that I know, it takes time. You know, the, the Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours uh, to become right. a master of something. Like, it takes some number of hours less than that to become proficient at it. Like, I mean, you can become proficient at the guitar in in a short time. Like, I taught guitar to uh 11 year olds and te young teenagers at the summer camp that i would uh, that i went to that i would eventually work at as a music counselor and i remember like if if kids went away and practiced everything that i showed them uh and like showed their own initiative sometimes and like found like just studied on their own and put like they could learn how to be as good as i was on the on the guitar by the end of the summer you know like i wasn't hmm. Uh, a trained guitarist. I was just like a self-taught, like, oh yeah, I can show you everything that I know. I can show you these chords. But uh, so it's, it is for some things, like there's some things that people might have a more natural affinity for than others, but work is like, of, of the things that you can control, uh, I always thought about there's, you know, your success, the success that I've had in comedy and or, you know, anything else is based on a combination of luck and uh and talent and work and the you can't control the luck you can't control the talent you can only control the work the time the amount the resources that you put into it and actually then once you do put in the more work you put in then the more opportunity you're giving yourselves to be lucky and like like, for example, the way that I got my first college booking agent was in 2006, I went to a comedy competition in Seattle uh, that I'd heard about, that I, like, I paid money to fly myself there, uh, and I was there for uh, at least two weeks. Like, I had, it, was, it took place over the course of a month, and I, didn't, I made it out of the first round uh, of 30 people. Uh, and then I made it into the second round of 10 people and I didn't make it further past that, but I think I made enough, like you got enough money to pay for, uh, I got enough money to pay for my flight by being there, nice. which, yeah. which wasn't, you know, and I crashed on a, a fellow comedian's couch while I was there. Uh, I ate cheaply, but uh, you know, I wasn't there to make money. I was there to hopefully, uh, just have an experience to, uh, you know, maybe if I could win, you know, the the lottery of the of winning the whole thing. But the goal was just to do more comedy. And so I achieved that goal. And one of the other comedians had a manager who was running another competition, a festival in D.C. the next year. And so I got to, invited to do that. And so I went to that festival and there was like a contest in that festival where I did, I think, win. Uh, and one part of the prize was getting to work at a comedy club in Chicago. And another prize was uh, like getting, uh, I actually don't know if this was part of the prize, but one of the judges was a woman who would become my college booking agent uh, because nice. she liked the seven minutes of comedy that I did and uh, asked, you know, uh, if I had more. And I was like, I do have more. And so then for many years, uh, this is the woman who booked me uh, and what was what enabled me to leave my job uh, not doing comedy because I now had a job doing comedy. And like, so the, the path towards it is like, I can look back and see exactly how it was traced. But the point is that uh, if I hadn't said yes to that Seattle competition, then I probably wouldn't have gotten to do the DC one. I wouldn't have met that particular person. Maybe I would have uh, achieved success through some other means. But like, I remember here's another sort of, uh, story like this that uh, here's a festival that I didn't get into uh, that was in Las Vegas like when I, a couple of years after I started doing comedy my friend uh, Dan Hirshon and I uh, he he and I uh, we went to the same college we started doing comedy around the same time we are good friends uh, and at the time we were uh, both still in uh, I think I was at BU in college he was at Brandeis in college and I remember there was a, a college division of this particular, uh, the competition to get into this festival. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe because I, I actually, 
I won a comedy competition at Boston University. The joke that I tell about it is that uh, of all of the 32,000 people, I was the funniest of the 11 that were in the contest. And, <laughs> and uh, but that's, it was true in, in a way because I'd been at that point doing comedy like, you know, as close to every night as possible for three years. And everybody else in the competition had been only, you know, just gotten to college, you know, and they weren't out there doing comedy every night. So I was like, well, if I if I apply on the college level, which I technically I was in grad school, I'm like, that's a college. Uh, maybe I'll be able to get into this Las Vegas comedy festival. And I didn't because Dan Hershon, my friend, uh, a uh, an undergraduate college student, and also as professional a comedian as I was, uh, won that spot. And I was remember being like, oh, you know, like happy for my friend, but also jealous at the time. I'm like, I wanted to do it. In the meantime, he goes to the festival that weekend. I I perform at a steakhouse. I'm vegan, and uh, yeah. but I'm performing wherever I can. And I thought it'd be funny at the steakhouse to ask like hey are there any vegetarians here uh and somebody in <laughs> somebody in the back yelled out this is a steakhouse and in such a, a noteworthy voice that uh i started telling people that story on stage and that became like at the time a signature bit that just every everyone just seemed to love me doing that voice and i remember <laughs> feeling like it sort of reminded me of uh there's this, I think, a Buddhist story of, like, a Chinese farmer who had a, a horse and the horse ran away. And somebody's like, ah, bad mm -hmm. news, bad luck. And he's like, maybe yes, maybe no. And then the horse comes back the next day with, like, a, another horse that it found in the wild, a wild horse friend. And it's like, oh, now you have two horses. Great news, right? Great luck. And he's like, maybe yes, maybe no. The next day, the farmer's son is trying to tame the wild horse, gets thrown, breaks his leg, you know? And uh, he's like, oh, bad news, broken leg, bad luck. And he's like, maybe yes, maybe no. Next day, the uh, the army comes to town and drafts every able-bodied young man to fight in the conflict. And the son doesn't have to go because his leg is broken. He's like, oh, your son is spared. Great news, great luck. He's like, maybe yes, maybe no. And so the, the experience that I had that was like that was like, man, I didn't get to go to the comedy festival. Bad news, bad luck. And I was like, wait, but because I didn't go, I got to perform at this show where I had this experience that turned into a joke that became like a large part of the very first album that I ever did. And I, I think maybe I got to do that joke on television. And I was like, wow. And if I hadn't, if I'd gone to the festival, I wouldn't have that experience. And then I was like, well, and then several years later, I'm like, oh, and if I didn't write that joke, I would have written other jokes. And that does, that joke isn't even my favorite joke anymore. And I didn't, you know, I, I don't, once I record a joke for an album, like I've recorded now, I think at least five different stand-up comedy albums over the past almost 20 years uh or the past 10 years really is when i started recording the albums and uh and like any one joke like i love all my jokes i love some jokes uh like for very specific reasons but that one i didn't it's not i didn't need it like no, i didn't need the festival i didn't need the joke like i would have been grateful for the festival i was grateful for the joke but the idea is that any anything that you do like uh means that you're not doing something else anything that you're not doing means what like what are you doing and so i think the this whole context was do do the thing that you love as much as you can wherever you can whenever you can because then that will uh it will make you better at it so the work will improve your talent or if if anything like that you will get better the more you do it and you'll also then be in more positions where like the luckier things might happen and they might start adding up or become more statistically probable or likely. Um, yeah, I feel like if you don't have something that you love, uh, try, try things and try to try to find something that you love. Like what brings you joy? When are you happy? Like what try, can you do more of that? Can you spend more time? Can you invest in the thing that makes you feel good? If you have a job that isn't your favorite, can you do something that is your favorite at least a little bit every day? If you, I always think about like, I have a job that isn't the same every day, so I do try to do something the same every day, like this, my morning uh, ritual of like getting up, drinking a liter of water, reading something peaceful, uh, meditating for 10 to 20 minutes, and then doing some free writing. I use the website uh, 750words.com, or sometimes I just uh, free write uh, by hand. And so it's nice to do something the same in 
days that are totally different. And if you have days that are totally the same, why not do something different every day? You know, like go somewhere different, walk a different way home from work or, you know, learn a new thing, watch a new thing, you know, have a a new conversation with a person. Um, So, yeah, I feel like. Ah, uh, to answer, I hope, I, I feel like, th- did that answer your question a little? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that did a great job of answering the question. And there's so many gems that you put within there. And I think something that's amazing for the audience to really embody is how important it is to, one, have something in your life that brings you joy and make and create the time to go do those things no matter what else you have going on in your life. I think that's a huge takeaway. And then another one that you spoke on that I love is this idea of also find some like novelty in your life. Like there's this important dance between novelty and also routine and ritual. And if you find yourself being having too much routine then like, Hey, try to try to bring more balance by bringing more uh, novelty in your life. And if you're somebody who's always looking for the new thing or the next experience or some type of new experience, then like, hey, build in some type of routine to ground yourself a little bit and how there's value in both of those. Oh, yeah. There's a, a quote I like from, I believe, is a poet named Robert Haas. Uh, and he says uh, something like, repetition uh, makes us feel secure and variation makes us feel free. And those are both good ways to feel. So... Uh, it's good to build in if you have if you're leaning trending too much towards one of them if you're if you feel you're in a rut add novelty if you feel like you're unmoored and untethered you know add grounding I love that I love that yeah if to me that really speaks into the importance of balance and finding that that yin and yang within your life totally uh, yes I mean I know I know also like so many people have, so many challenges that I do not have, and I'm I'm grateful that I have them, and I I guess do my best as well to offer what I can, you know, of my uh, time, attention, voice, money, service, whatever I can do uh, to help others uh, as well. So I guess that's another uh, component of where I'm at is like I. Since I achieved the goal of becoming a comedian, and now the goal is to maintain being a comedian, and you know, there's other potential like, uh, sort of mini goals within. It's sort of like, but I do like to conceive of myself as sort of like, having gotten to the end zone, and now the rest of this is all just like doing kind of different dances in the end zone, and then also helping other people, you know, get to, and I know now the sports analogy is probably uh, falling apart a little bit. I'm like, hey, come join me in the end zone. Like, I'm, st- I'm here in my end zone. Like, what's your, and it's, it's not even an end zone. It's just a, a continuing zone of, you know, uh, hopefully an equilibrium of, uh, of joy for myself and helping others experience joy or, you know, getting to a place where, uh, that that is something that they can't even think about, you know, where like, of course, there's so much in our society that it, there's that is inequitable. Uh, mm-hmm. And there are, you know, if you if you have more than you need, then a, a nice thing that can also uh, life hack bring you joy is help other people uh, with with who don't have as much of what you have, you know, and uh, provide like it's a. Uh, there's a an Ursula K. Le Guin book that I that I love called Always Coming Home. I, I love Ursula K. Le Guin. She is a fantastic writer, author, and in this book, there's a description of uh, it's sort of an anthropological. It's a fictional anthropological study of a a group of indigenous folks in like a a future California, I believe, and yeah. in their uh, in their community in their culture the concept of wealth is uh, viewed as the people who give the most are the wealthiest. The people, oh, nice. the people who have the most are the least wealthy. They're like, wow, if you have, but you haven't given it, like they're like, wow, they, the people feel sorry for those people. And the, the idea of like how resonant that is with, you know, 
with our society with like, like the there are so many people who have so much money but don't seem happy like i'm sure there are some that mm-hmm. that are but it's not a direct co- it's certainly not a direct correlation of have money right. uh and I, I realize i've been talking about like mentioning uh money in this conversation a fair amount but as hopefully just a stand-in for like the thing that allows the joy to flow you know that for right. for me and for others uh and because obviously it's it's an important it's certainly an important thing when you're in a capitalistic society and you don't have it or you don't have enough or you don't know where it's coming from uh and and so i just want to be uh sensitive to that as well that you know my i was fortunate growing up my parents were teachers we had a home i have never had uh you know a time where i was uh, like unaware of where my next meal would be coming from, and so it's uh, it's my hope and goal to also help others, you know, via activism and volunteering and and contributions of uh, money as well as time to hopefully give ev- you know give everyone as much of the opportunity as uh, as possible as I was able to have. Uh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I think it. It goes back into uh, you know a conversation that we had previously of how important it is when you know your cup is filled right and you're doing all these things that are bringing joy to you and, and opportunity and you know wealth and all these great things that you also get to help other people with that and that's what brings you an, another sense of joy another way to have that within your life and yeah man I feel like as as human beings as tribal beings like we're meant to help each other and we're, we're there to really help each other advance. And I think a lot of that work starts off with, you know, how we're able to provide for ourselves first. And I love how you've been able to, you know, become this very successful comedian and just overall great person. And now you're using all of your resources that you have to teach other people how to do those things too, whether it's within comedy or when you were at, your the camp that you were a, a music counselor and teaching those kids how to play the guitar something that brought you so much joy you know i think that type of reciprocity is what it's all about in this world and i love that you're doing it thank you man i uh i really appreciate that uh i reciprocate that to you and uh you know i was just uh two things i was just listening to a boney Vare album that I don't think I'd heard that came out a couple years ago. I love Bon Iver, but I didn't realize they had a new, an album, I think that came out in 2019. And there was just, I think it was one song on that or maybe one of their other albums that I, I listened to a bunch of it today. Uh, that just, I, the word reciprocity just like came mm. like resonating out. Like they, they're, I mean, I love their voices and it doesn't matter to me what they're saying at all, but every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, the, that, that's, that's the stuff right there. And uh, the other thing that I was just thinking is when I started doing comedy, I feel like even in the language of uh, of achievement in comedy is like getting laughs. Like that was what the goal was. Like you got to try to get laughs from the audience, you know? And I honestly feel like now in a way, and this is going to sound probably real corny, but I like the idea of like giving laughs. Like mm. that even the, con- I was just thinking of the concept of a gift. Like sometimes people say, I think like either maybe Picasso said something like, something like half your life you spend like discovering your gift and then you the rest of it you spend giving it away and when people talk about like oh that person has a gift like that listen to their singing voice what a gift and the idea of like a gift comes from like the root is to give and so like they've been given a gift but then like the same way that concept of wealth is like if you are given it but then you keep it then like nobody it's only like manifested fully when it's continually given when you know, you give what you've been given when you have enough then like keeping it you know if you have too much food it'll spoil if you have you know if you eat too much like you will be in pain if you uh like there's there's some equilibrium of like you need some like you you like you know the uh, <laughs> mo money mo problems concept is right. like also it doesn't mean like like no money 
even mo problems you know like so some money like you know right equilibrium of no problems where eventually like you know too much like then okay help other people have no problems the take however many no money people there are and give them mo money because from no money to some mo money then fewer problems but uh the just the idea of like getting sometimes after a show this is the thing uh people will come up to me and say thank you for the laughs and I will say, thank you for the laughs. I'm like, hey, mm. who's who's giving who the laughs? I'm like, we're both getting, like comedian is getting laughs from audience and audience is getting laughs from comedian. And so ultimately wow. it is this one, you know, equilibrium of the symbiosis of like, it's like the opposite of a zero sum game. It's like a, right. you know, a positive sum game where like if I don't do anything, then I don't get anything and I don't give anything. But if you give something, then you also get something. Mm. That was profound and beautiful all at the same time. Oh, thank you. I really love that. Yeah, this idea of, you know, get laughs and giving laughs, right? And it's all happening from one exchange, right? One thing that's happening in that moment. And I think that's really true of us as humans, like how much we can receive by giving right and then how much that we you know the more that we receive the more that it empowers us to want to give so i, I really appreciate you making that connection and that one's going to stick with me oh, for a long time oh thank you I'll, I'll add also just if you know it take away laughs and insert love and i think it works uh pretty well as well in fact there's a so i don't know if you know do you know bo burnham the comedian musician um, I do not. Oh my goodness! I'm I'm gonna share. He has a new special that I think came out last night that I haven't watched yet. That he recorded, I think, entirely on his own during the pandemic. But he has a couple others that are on Netflix. One is called What, and one is called Make Happy, and they're beautiful pieces of comedy music art. And there's one. I'm gonna spoil one lyric for you, in a a song of his that's called, I believe, From God's Perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in the song. He, the narrator is talking from the perspective of God and he says, uh, if you want, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to give you love just cause you say that you want me to, uh, if you want love, then the love has got to come from you. Mm. So like if you, for anything, I mean, for a lot of things that we want, uh, emotionally in life, like if we're like, I wish that, like I had an experience once where there was somebody in my life that I was like, I wish they would reach out to me. And my girlfriend was like, why don't you reach out to them? And I was like, oh yeah. Cause what I really wanted there to be was a communion. I really wanted there to be us reaching each other. And that could be accomplished from, if you reach out to somebody else, you're closer to them. If they reach out, back, out to you, back to you, then they're closer. But like, and it's you know, not to say that relationships should be one-sided, uh, but if you want to talk to somebody, if you want to talk to a loved one, I mean, I guess that's another sort of an element of a thing that I would recommend is just like, I love reaching out to people who I care about and letting them know that I care about them. And, uh, and then every once in a while people do that to you as well, if you do that. But also it's, I'm not doing it so that they'll say something back. I'm doing it because I have, uh, it brings me joy to express uh, love and care and thought to a person that I'm thinking about. Like if I think of a comedian's joke and it makes me laugh, I'll send them a text about it. If I, you know, if, if anybody who came up in this conversation, I'd be like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to that person and let, let them know that I was thinking about them. And that's how, that's how love, that's how love works. Like laughs in that analogy, because it's not like if you give someone love, it's not like you don't have it anymore. It's like, uh, right. it's like a, you know, a fax machine where you, they get a perfect facsimile and you have it as like, you both have the original of the love that, uh, it's not like, Hey, can you send me back that love? Because I ran out, you know, it's the, mm. the more you share it, then the more of it there actually even potentially is. For sure. It's abundant. You know, you know what I'm saying? When something's abundant, you know, you take abundance away from abundance. There's an abundance still there. <laughs> yeah. And I like how that works for love and for laughs as well, which is, which is amazing. And I think that's something that, um, you know, we, we all get to experience in our life. A lot of laughs, a lot of love and abundance overall. Agreed and appreciated. Mm. Mike, I appreciate you so much, man. And, and for spending this time and, 
explaining your story to us, dropping so many nuggets, so much wisdom. Where can all the listeners find you online and in all places and areas? Oh, sure. Thank you for asking and for saying that. I appreciate you. Uh, so my name is Mike Kaplan. Uh, Mike is spelled M-Y-Q. Kaplan is K-A-P-L-A-N. And if you look for at Mike Kaplan, all the social media places, you'll find me there. I put uh, jokes into the world uh, most days. And uh, I have a newsletter also that I call Art Nuggets that uh, I send out weekly for free to people who want it. You can sign up at MikeKaplan.Substack.com. Uh, MikeKaplan.com is my website. I have two podcasts, one of which, uh, as you know, uh, I just recorded with you. It's called hey. Broccoli and Ice Cream. Uh, an episode comes out approximately or at least once a week or so. Uh, and then a bonus one is available on my Patreon. And then I have another podcast called The Faucet, uh, which is just me uh, spouting off. And uh, <laughs> I just realized I, I, I honestly don't think I have ever necessarily remembered to say uh, that a faucet and a spout are very similar. But uh, <laughs> that is, so that is, that also comes out once a week or so. And uh, you can find out about my my live shows, which are returning on my website, mikekaplan.com. And uh, I have a bunch of albums that have come out over the past years that, uh, if you only do one thing, I think my most recent album uh, is called AKA. It came out about a year ago. And it's, uh, you know, the culmination of almost two decades of doing comedy. It's my, I think my best, my favorite. I, I love them all. They're all my children. But I was like the oldest, wisest parent when I created this one. Uh, nice. And so, it's yeah, it's called AKA. And uh, it's about love and compassion and not murdering. And then I have a bunch of other albums that you can find. Look, you're listening to a podcast. I bet you can find where albums are if you search uh, my my website or wherever you find albums and podcasts so uh thank you for asking and for having me no my pleasure and i'll link to all of those in the show notes and mike man this has been awesome i appreciate it i'm looking forward to doing it again real real soon absolutely thank you so much my friend my pleasure